It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 215, The Revelations of Ezekiel and the Prophecies of Restoration. After the destruction of the temple and years have passed, the Jews fail not to remember their temple, and it is the Lord that lights the fire of remembrance as the collective power of hope is ignited in the remnants of Judah. Ezekiel starts to have more and more fresh revelations. He has taken and shown the temple of the Lord in heaven and or shown one on earth to come. I have to say it's both at the same time, if that's possible. Within the temple, he has marvelous encounters in Ezekiel 40 and 41 and in 42. We see the return of the glory of the Lord to the new temple in Israel. A vision of the things to come is revealed. And as we cover Ezekiel 43, please note this man that it's referring to is our angelic tour guide, angel, or Jesus himself. Most likely, Jesus himself. Ezekiel 43. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the Lord of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the Kibar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name. Neither they nor their kings by their prostitution and their funeral offerings for their kings at, the, at their death. And when they placed their threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost, with only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them put away from me their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings, and I will live among them forever. Further, Ezekiel gets very, very specific measurements on the future temple projects. Levitical restoration, he gets to find detail, which is quite incredible considering he was a Levite called to be a prophet. It's about restoration. Ezekiel 43.13, the altar is restored. Ezekiel 44, the priesthood restored. Ezekiel 45, Israel fully restored. It continues and continues. Ezekiel 47 is super interesting as it speaks of the temple of the Lord and a river under it. Ezekiel 47, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, 
He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubics. Then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross, because the water had risen and was now deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water be- there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engelain. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be there of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Isn't this just a remarkable section? First a man led him a thousand measurements, a a first level of maturity, and he was only an ankle deep. There was another level that was knee deep, another waist deep, but the final level was completely swept up in God, over your head in the water, dropped in the ocean, with no foot to land on, no safety net of control, completely in the deep things and waters of God. That's spiritual maturity. And ask a question. Where are you? Are you in the deep waters? Are you just getting your feet wet? If you're not in the deep waters, I suggest you get there. Here's another hard question. Where are you today? Like, not just like generally speaking, but tomorrow. Where are you the next day? Where are you in the moment of the thick of any tension in your life? Are you living from the deep waters? Are you deep in the things of God and in the Spirit? And if not, get there. Then he asked, Son of man, what do you see? And that's the question. What do you see? Do you see Jesus walking on the water? Or do you see the wind and the waves? And next it goes on to talk about how this river goes down to where the Dead Sea is. And the Dead Sea basically becomes this Eden, this heaven on earth. There's trees and their their leaves are for the healing of the nations. It's like the tree of life is there um, and all swarms of living creatures are there. Um, It's just a picture of the end. Now let's consider the perspective of Daniel and others from Judah at this time. It's a good 12 years since the destruction of Jerusalem. Daniel is a wonderful student of the word and the prophecies, and I imagine him to be a world-class prophecy teacher. 
In fact, the world-class prophecy teacher of his day. He would have memorized any scripture that pertained to his day, and he was living in a prophetic time. There was a lot to choose from and a lot to pray over. Daniel's assignment was to be the man who covered the gap between the first kingdom of Israel and the second age of time, beginning with their restoration. He would have felt it hard to understand, but at the same time impossible to not believe, now that he had seen God's power at work in Babylon. Because all these prophecies speak of this restoration of Israel, so hard to understand that when, you, when loved ones had died and thousands and thousands um, uh, had died, um, and the exile, their temple was destroyed, um, the, the last governor, he's no longer living. I mean, it's so hard to understand how it could happen. But at the same time, Daniel couldn't overlap, overlook this unbelievable favor that he was living in and influence. And as the greatest scribes of the day and anyone who could read and write in Judah, they were tasked with the transcribing and compilation of the words of the prophets, sponsored by none other than the second most powerful man in the world, Daniel. Daniel considered compilation of the works of his people just part of um, his projects. It's like Google scanning um, the library works of today. It's just part of the public service of literature that, that Daniel did as the administrator of Babylon. Daniel considered the compilation of these works just part of his daily jobs and responsibility, but yet it was this project that would last beyond any of the accomplishments of the Babylonians. It's the compilations of the Word of God. All of the scriptures all the prophecies, all the Psalms, all the Proverbs, up to this point, they get cataloged and organized by Daniel. But I have to believe his pet project is the study of the prophecies, the compilation of the works of his age, the study of the relevant prophecies of his day, and the intercession associated with it was Daniel's primary assignment on earth. And here is what he most likely had to uh, triplicate in his personal library and prayer room. It's these prophecies that are, um, once he finds the one that related to his time frame, I would think he'd, he wrote it, he memorized it, he put it on his wall, it became his prayer map. It wasn't just something he made sure hit the Bible. It was something that he copied into his own mind, he copied into his own study, he copied into his prayer room. Here's another one that Ezekiel experiences uh, that Daniel most likely meditated on significantly. It's the prophecy of the valley of dry bones. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. 
I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the fourth winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. The promise remains. And Jeremiah even has the timeline. So, Daniel's got this prophecy of dry bones. Prior to this, he's got a prophecy from Jeremiah that even gives him a timeline. Jeremiah 29.10, this is what the Lord says, And when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. Daniel will go on to quote this actual prophecy, and it will show us how to pray prophecy when Jeremiah is quoted later, when the 70 years is up. Daniel the intercessor, Daniel the national intercessor, will plead with God for his people and literally pray forgiveness over all of them. The prophecies have become Daniel's roadmap. As he prayed over them, he meditated on them, he pursued them as an ideal, as a goal, and believed God for them. And as he prayed often, as he did facing the ruins of Jerusalem, Daily, he meditated on and reminded God of the restoration to come. Here's a programming note. We'll be taking off next week for some travel on the weekend. And as always, thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat. 
email us at messagethekings at gmail.com.